You're listening to Trek FM. Hi, I'm Jara Hodge, and welcome to a very special supplementary episode of Women at Warp, recorded live at Star Trek Las Vegas 2015. This recording is of a panel called Voyager's Impact on Female Roles, hosted by the fabulous Mary Serwinski, aka Televixen, of DVD Geeks. We talk about the things that Voyager did well for the time in terms of women's roles, and we talk about how it relates to its contemporaries, such as Buffy, as well as the legacy that the women characters have left on fandom today from uh, series like Fringe and Battlestar Galactica to characters like Black Widow, like Katniss in the Hunger Games. But I will turn it over to Mary at Star Trek Las Vegas on August 8th to introduce you to the panelists and the topic herself. And I hope you enjoy. Well, welcome, everyone. Hi. This is like a little, you know, roundtable discussion. You guys are just as much a part of this uh, as we are. So we want you to look at this as just a talk, not a lecture. Like, this is just us and you. Uh, So this is like, I think, the fifth year that I've hosted uh, a panel on women and Star Trek. Uh, Generally, we tend to focus on fandom. But this year, with the 20th anniversary of Voyager, I thought it would be really special to talk about the legacy of Voyager and the kinds of characters that are possible because of such a groundbreaking show. So if you don't know who I am, my name is Mary Serwinski. I'm the Televixen. I uh, have a podcast called DVD Geeks. I also have a web series called Glue Guns and Phasers, where we make Star Trek crafts. And tomorrow morning, we're going to be making um, some Spock keychains at 8.30 a.m. So if you want to come down, it's free. I would love to see you all. Bring some coffee. You can come in your PJs. It's totally fine. But yeah, so uh, I do interviews for Roddenberry Entertainment, also for Creation TV. You've probably seen me around cosplaying many different characters in this weekend. So anyway, uh, without further ado, I want to introduce my fabulous panelists. We have Jara Hodge. She's been on the panel before. She hails from Vancouver, Canada. She is one of the hosts of a new podcast called Women at Warp. You guys all should listen to it. It's fabulous. She writes for the MarySue.com and also runs a great Tumblr called Trekkie Feminist, where she discusses gender issues and Star Trek. So give it up for Jara Hodge. Thanks. Thank you. Yes, it is. Thanks. Okay. All right. <laughs> we also have Amy Imhoff, who is from New York. Yes. Yes. And she runs a fantastic website called Shoes and Starships, which is close to my heart because I'm a fashion girl. And it's a lifestyle blog, but you also analyze gender roles in television. And um, so, yeah, it's for geeky women, right? Geeky women, but everyone is invited. Exactly. I do a lot of TV recaps, too. Uh, Hannibal's my big draw right now. Hannibal? Maybe we can uh, hashtag save Hannibal. (laughs) (laughs) Well, Brian Fuller's here this weekend. I know. We are are hanging out tomorrow. But she also has a master's in English literature, and if you didn't catch her panel a couple of days ago, I hope she brings it back next year. She uh, did a panel on literature and Star Trek. Um, So I I think this is something that really needs to be discussed even in more detail. Oh, I know. I'd love to be able to focus on more just one thing. We had a great overview yesterday, but it was like two minutes per topic, two minutes for Dante, two minutes for Melville. Like We wanted to have a little more in-depth, so hopefully we'll get that next year. All right. Well, welcome, Amy. Thank you. We also have Dr. Kayla Covino, who is a contributor for, contributor for NPR's Science Friday. She's a real-life volcanologist, as in volcanoes. Thanks, thanks for the clarification. <laughs> so we have a scientist one. on the panel. Uh, she is an editor at trekmovie.com, yep. and she's written for uh, science blogs or science articles for Geek Magazine. Yep. Yes. And you have studied volcanoes all over the world, everywhere from Chile to North Korea yeah, and Antarctica. Yeah, we're working in North Korea on a volcano that's on the border between North Korea and China. And we're working with uh, North Korean scientists in country to um, study the, vo- the active volcano that's in their country. So it's a science diplomacy effort. And I'm, I'm honored to be actually the first American woman um, scientist to trek through North Korea. Wow. So. That's incredible. Give her an applause. It's, yeah, I've been really honored to be a part of, part of this team that's doing this project. It's been really uh, rewarding. Well, everybody, please follow them on Twitter. Here are our Twitter handles. Um, definitely hashtag our panel and um, tweet at us. And maybe uh, if anybody has any other thoughts, if we can't get to your questions, we can um, address them on her, her uh, podcast. So 
we're definitely recording this for it. So, um, so we all kind of grew up in the same era, in the 90s. Um, as young women growing up in the 90s, I cannot state how profoundly important seeing Voyager on the air was to me. Catherine Janeway, as the, the first female Starfleet captain, was and still remains such a huge inspiration to all of us up here. And 20 years later, I kind of found myself trying to explore and examine what that legacy meant. You know, that Voyager was this very groundbreaking show, but yet it doesn't get the credit it deserves. And I really love that Catherine Janeway was such a capable and compassionate leader and strategic at difficult times. And she really was a woman, but it didn't matter. She was a captain, and it wasn't a big deal that she was a woman. It was never really pointed out. It was only questioned maybe a couple of times. And so she was a captain, period, and that was important to me. She's just a fantastic character. But she wasn't alone in her revolutionary command. She kicked in so many doors, but she also had the incredible Bolana Torres, who was a highly competent engineer. She's the chief engineer. She could problem solve on the fly and still had like this amazing fiery personality and she became a mother and so many other things on the show and she kept the ship running. You know, let's really give her that credit that she deserves. And also we had Seven of Nine who really developed the Astrometrics Laboratory and charting planets and ships and also helping in the effort to get them home even sooner. We had Cass who is in the hydroponics Area. And she also helped in sickbay as basically a nurse. She became the medical assistant to the EMH. But I think the thing most importantly that sets Voyager apart is just how critical these characters are at a time when you didn't really see this on television. To not only have that representation, but to really just be the heart and soul of the show. Yes, they were male characters. Yes, they were interesting male characters. But I think it's the women on the show that really stand out. And they've influenced a whole generation of women like Kayla up here, who is a scientist. So I was wondering, ladies, what is your perception of the time period that Voyager came on the air? You know, you had the Whedonverse, you had Buffy and Willow, two strong female characters. You had Xena. What other examples in the 90s did we have of iconic female characters Wait, that stood on Amy, Amy just had Scully a minute ago. Dana Scully. X-Files, yes, definitely. Badass FBI agent number one. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, Scully was a huge influence on me as well, just like Janeway. The two of them were just showing me this, like, capable career woman path that you could take, you know, and seeing that... As a young woman, um, you know, I, my mom worked at home. She grew up in, like, you know, the, the 60s and 70s, and she had, was, you know, told basically your options are teacher, nurse, or homemaker, and that's what she chose, and that was not something that I thought would be my path. And seeing able to see Janeway and Scully and, you know, just these characters taking control of their destiny, and they didn't need the guys in their life to help them chart that course. It was very important. I think the thing that like resonates with me, especially with Buffy and Xena, is just that sense of community, the friendship that's there, those bonds, mm -hmm. you know, that's what makes them stronger leaders. Yeah. And at that time period, I really didn't see a lot of that. And you definitely see the cast of Voyager being a family unit that has each other's backs no matter what. And the thing about Janeway that really stands out to me is just that she was willing to do whatever it took. Like she didn't make other people go do it. She'd be the first one to jump in and risk herself for her crew. Yeah, she was a good interactive captain like that. I think that the most important lesson that I learned from Janeway um, was that it's okay for other people to disagree with you and for you to disagree with other people. Right from you know the second episode with Bolana, she's telling her that um, you know, some professors at Starfleet appreciate uh, when people challenge them, and so do some captains. And there are many instances of Janeway um, uh, like allowing people to challenge her and I'm revising her opinion because she listens to her crew and I think that that has been like a lesson that I took away and I don't think that was something we saw a lot where you could have a woman in command who um, was able to really communicate and uh, listen to other people to find the best solution. There are some characters that came later like the female Starbucks that embody this sort of masculine femininity, you know, where they emulate men. And I feel like on Voyager, the women stood on their own as also having a feminine identity, either as a mother or a nurturer, somebody who's loving, but could also take command. Um, 
What do you make of characters like Starbuck who are, you know, drinking, smoking, gambling, sleeping around, that sort of thing? Yeah, I think that there's, I mean, there are, there are just two different types. There are two different personality types. Like I said, I would never describe any of the Voyager people as masculine, I guess. Um, they were certainly commanding and leaders, but to me those aren't masculine qualities. But, but Starbuck definitely was because um, she's a completely different personality type. And I like that both can be represented and both can still be feminine, though. You know, she's a masculine woman, but she's still a woman, and she still embodies a lot of feminine qualities. So I think that's empowering for women who, who do have a strong masculine side um, because they want to be able to feel like they can um, express that part of themselves without saying that, have someone tell them, oh, you're acting like a man. No, you're, at, you're, you're expressing the feminine side of, of your own psyche. Everyone has both of those sides to them. And, so it's like two sides of that coin. Yeah, and having um, some knowledge of the behind the scenes that went into the female Starbuck, um, you know, that was a decision that Ron Moore faced a lot of opposition on. He um, was told that, that they really did not like, even by members of the original Battlestar Galactica cast, that they did not want to have a female Starbuck. They wanted Starbuck to still be a guy. And Ron Moore said it was really important not only to give the women viewers something to watch, but also he created Laura Roslin, a president who has no counterpart in the original Battlestar Galactica. So Starbuck in her, you know, her fighter pilot way, I think she had to kind of make it in a, in a dude's world. So she, she took on a little bit of those masculine traits and, you know, she totally seemed to enjoy herself with her cigars and her, you know, her card playing and everything. And I think it was good because it, it might probably allow the guys to connect with her a little bit too. Let's talk a little bit about roles for women today and whether or not they're better because of Voyager or was Voyager groundbreaking and still ahead of its time as of today? You know, you see a lot of characters like Katniss Everdeen, but she still has romantic entanglements that kind of play to this trope, this cliche. Um, but you didn't really see that in Voyager. I mean, you had Janeway having Mark and, and, and stuff like that. But it wasn't like the whole picture. No it love was just triangle. the side, <laughs> side plot. Yeah, no love triangle like Katniss with her two boys. No. Which I, you know, I appreciate that about Voyager. You know, that's a really excellent point that you made. Yeah, I mean, I think that um, Voyager was groundbreaking in a lot of ways. I think the most notable for me is um, that it showed us actually pretty much all the women characters. Um, it showed their struggles with mental health issues in a way that was not stigmatizing. And we see so many more characters now on TV who can um, embody those issues that so many of us have faced ourselves. Um, we had Janeway facing depression. We had uh, Bolana uh, facing, um, you could call Rejection. it depression or, but you know, um, yeah, like suicidal tendencies or um, risk, extreme risk taking. Um, you had seven suffering from PTSD PTSD, and now you have like uh, characters in Homeland. Katniss is another example of someone who suffers from PTSD. Um, women characters, and that is, it's not seen as um, something that makes you weak or incapable of doing of, of being strong and doing your job um, for the rest of your life. It's just it's something that we go through, and I think that's really powerful. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the mental illness and the PTSD thing. I, I wrote an extensive blog about Seven's PTSD, but uh, recently uh, the Marvel movie Age of Ultron showed um, Black Widow having this PTSD about being sterilized. And it was a very controversial decision to do that um, in the feminist community. Many women saw it as almost insulting that she would be wanting this life of being a baby machine, essentially. But I looked at it from a very feminist standpoint that, like, they stripped her of her right to choose. And it's not about necessarily being baby-crazed, but just having the ability to do so. And also, genetic, we are, genetically, we are pre-programmed to have that nurturing side to ourselves. Yet, when someone strips you of that, it's like taking a piece of you away, whether or not you want to have a child. So I was wondering if you could speak to that, Jara, since I know this tends to be an area of expertise for you. Um, well, I, just, I think that the challenge with Age of Ultron is, like, it's a two-hour movie. And the, so in Voyager, we got so much potential. And I think they actually could have even taken it a step farther in that if we were in the type of TV we have today with long arcs, we could have got more into depth. Like um, Janeway in uh, Night, the episode where she is experiencing depression, um, is, like, finally grappling with this guilt that she has over stranding them all in the Delta Quadrant. And then 
at the end of that episode, it's just very neatly wrapped up. Um, so I think that today that kind of stuff could have been even better, but this is was a really important starting point. And Ultron, there's just like there's one woman character pretty much. I mean, there was Scarlet Witch, but she had even less time, and you just don't have time to get into it. So I think that was the challenge was there just wasn't a diversity of women's representations that could have shown that um, you know not all women want to have kids. Um, it's totally cool if you do, and it's totally cool if you like. I mean, her response, I think, is totally understandable and valid, um, Black Widows, but um, I think there needs to be more options. And Voyager was cool because we had, like, three women at a time. Yeah. yeah, and one character we really haven't talked a lot about is Kess, and, and I feel like there's a lot of room for uh, exploration of her, her psyche uh, in the episode Tuvix, where she's battling this conflict, you know, where she's in a romantic relationship with Neelix, but here's this guy who is both Tuvok and Neelix and the decision to, you know, to basically end his life. Does she start this romantic relationship with this other person, you know, and treat him as an individual? Or does she try to view him as both, you know, part of uh, her previous relationship? And I know that the captain had to battle with that idea, too, of identity and what makes a person and, and how, you know, if, the more you know someone, the more they become part of your family and your friendships. Can you speak to that, Amy, at all about just... As far as Kess goes, I think that there's a lot of unexplored potential with her, um, you know, growing and changing, especially because of her shortened lifespan. And not only in Tuvix, um, you know, the episode where she went into premature um, uh, reproductive cycle. Elogium. Elogium, yes. <laughs> um, where she kind of had to make that decision, like, should I have a kid that's, like, thrust upon her? Um, I think that... I think we could have definitely gotten a little bit more in terms of trying to, trying to put into words this feeling that I have about Kess because she is, she's, she's complicated that she, you know, having left so early and not really getting that, that full exploration, it kind of feels almost like, you know, Tasha Yar didn't get that full, um, that full exploration either. And, um, the scenes that we do get between her and Janeway are so tender and they so really beautiful. Are. And I think she really is a stand-in sometimes for an audience member who maybe needed nurturing. You know, I agree. Needed kind of a, we saw her grow up. Of an, of an older woman like, um, like Captain Janeway. And, you know, even Bellana is kind of like the rebellious teen and Janeway's the mom. So I feel like those two were like in different stages of their development, you know, and looking, looking for guidance. And the fact that the captain is a woman... Um, can really, really adds to those relationships in ways that perhaps if Voyager had had a male captain, it wouldn't. Yeah, her door was always open to Cass. Yeah, yeah like, really I mean, was. I love Picard, but I can't see him, like, hugging someone who just got, was, like, in premature <laughs> puberty. Um. So uh, we have actually picked a few characters that uh, are from modern day that we feel like strongly were influenced by Voyager, um, namely, for me, some of the, the, the Disney movies out there are, have such strong female characters, particularly Tomorrowland. I don't know if you, you guys saw it, but Casey Newton, which is the teenage girl in it, I, I just recently read Mosaic, which is the Catherine Janeway story, written by Jerry, Jerry Taylor. So great. And there's such a like, huge parallel there because you have Casey as this rebel who's wearing like a NASA hat and like jeans and like total tomboy, into yeah, breaking into complex. things, yeah. yeah, climbing fences, and, and she's just all about science and space, and it's not a big deal that she's a girl at all. And actually, that character was written to be a boy, and Brad Bird and Damon Lindelof like turned it around and said, no, we should just make this a female character. It's appropriate for us. It's the right time. So I feel like her story is very parallel. And then also the Athena character, who is a recruiter robot, is kind of similar to Seven and being like the voice of pure science and getting the mission done. What other female characters uh, do you guys watch in TV or movies that you feel like kind of are emulating the Voyager women? I think Olivia from Fringe oh, man. is a Fringe really good is the example. Because um, Olivia goes through a lot of things that I think Seven shared, a lot of issues about how Olivia was uh, a victim of the Cortexafin trials in her childhood, um, and Seven had to deal with you know, being taken by the Borg as a child and um, coming back out of that and then trying to deal with that as an adult. Um, and so they both have, and I, I guess that could be a, like a PTSD kind of parallel there as well. Um, well, yeah, I what, think like they both have, um, you see that 
very understandable fear of trusting others because of their childhood and the way that they were forced into this role that they had no choice over. And then Seven really doesn't have a choice. Um, she's forced out of it. So she she's really struggling with um, the same kinds of things that Olivia Dunham does in just like, who, who can I really trust here? Yeah. And I think also, not only with the parallel with Seven, I think Olivia really embodies you know, aspects of all three women of Voyager. She's very commanding in her field. You know, nobody questions her authority as an FBI agent. You she's know, definitely she's, got some Janeway in her. She definitely does. She's leading this team. You know, she's investigating these outlandish things. And, you know, she brings this, this kind of cool, you know, logic almost to it. And she, you know, she's, she's very unflappable. She's not somebody who's going to, to laugh quickly or to be, you know, silly. That's not her, that's part of the cortex of fan, you know, the lasting effect. Um, I think that... Um, the scientist part, of, like the you know the science behind Fringe, and her interacting with that is also another example of how Olivia is really just she's self-possessed, and I really like that about her. And she also um, in her romance with Peter, it's not something that is primary to her, to her goals and to what she's going through as a person. You know, she's always dealing with this. Um, you know, being, she can move through time. She's the only one who can move, th or not through time, through the universes. She's the only one who can do that. And, you know, it's, it's kind of interesting to give this, this talent to somebody like Olivia. Also mentioning the Seven of Nine thing and how she was like orphan, that also goes back to like the, the Black Widow thing. But I was thinking about the Whedonverse and I was thinking of like, Echo from Dollhouse. Nobody really talks about that show, but yeah, it had the same kind of concept example. of yeah. being yeah. wiped out mentally, you know, being erased. And she was a revolutionary, like, resistance leader mm -hmm. who then, you know, was, was wiped and turned into this, this, essentially, a pleasure doll, you know. And then she started getting bits and pieces of her, her humanity back and trying to then fight the good fight mm -hmm. once Olivia's more. Very much in Raven, I think that yeah. that's, a, sure. that's a good parallel for her. Uh, let's talk about Laura Rosalind, the president in I Battlestar Galactica. What a great female she's character. She is my hero. She's, she's my hero, too. Hero to me. yeah. So awesome. What do you, what do you guys think is, is her tie-in to all of this? Obviously, there's huge Janeway connections, yeah. Yeah, well, just like she was thrust into this role, like all of a sudden calamity happens, and it's like, oh, by the way, you're president now. And what she was like, you know, tenth on the list or something to be president, right? But she's like, like the Department the only of one. Education. That's right. Yeah, yeah, she's something like that. Yeah. So she's like the only one left, and she has to take over for everything. And she just like steps into the role so nicely and really owns it. And like, what an like a crazy situation for anyone to try to handle. And I think, and I think it's great that she doesn't just automatically assume this like perfect like tits these perfect actions you know she she's flawed, she's flawed. She, makes she doesn't mistakes. know she makes mistakes yeah she doesn't really know what to do this is not what she's prepared for in her life but you know she says well the challenge is here this is what we got to do and she's also just kind of imminently practical yeah. you know she's standing around on the bridge in the in the first episode you know the the first like little mini series and she says what we really need to do is start making babies because <laughs> there's only a lot of uh, there's only a little bit of humanity left you know, I think, and and the fact that she says that, you know, kind of make she has this eye toward the future. Yeah. You know, she wants to have the best chance of survival for her people, and that's that's very Janeway, obviously. Yeah, I think that's true. I think that though also shows some of the evolution beyond Janeway because I think if you read some of the behind the scenes comments of like Jerry Taylor and some of the other creators, they were so conscious of her being the first woman captain that they tried really hard to avoid flaws, at least at first. And I think that, you know, sometimes you see critiques of her being inconsistent because they were trying really hard to tread this line and not have people see her as either too masculine or too feminine. And by the time that Laura Rosling, what, what does yeah. that even mean? I know, I know, I know, totally. <laughs> um, but they were they were very conscious that people would be reading her as not just a captain but a woman captain, and uh, and so they didn't like up until Equinox, she wasn't allowed to have like really embody flaws. And um, I think that it was kind of a powerful change we saw in the later series where she was allowed to be a bit more complicated. And I think it's cool that we got to see more of that in BSG. Yeah, I think that is one of the complaints about Voyager, not only the reset button, which everyone, in the regurgitated plot lines from TNG, but also just that Janeway was this sort of perfect version of a captain. And, and then as she started to kind of fall apart and make difficult decisions, it got more interesting and more realistic too. 
So, I think that's really a, a symptom of TV in the 90s, you know, trying to make these, these women be like super unflappable, like Scully being very unflappable. They didn't give her any kind of like emotion, like not none, but there was very little until uh, season uh, four when she had her cancer arc. And that's the season that Gillian Anderson won the Emmy for. You know, I think it's that like flawed struggle. We're very into anti-heroes right now. Big time. You know, like Walter White. Um, but, you know, Rosalind was able to take it, so building on the Janeway and then being able to take it a step further is really the perfect like, example of what we're trying to talk about today, the evolution of those female characters. Although like, I, would, I would point out too though that Weedenverse is a great, like all Weedenverse ca characters are all so flawed, like, which oh, is I what I love about them. Like it's a very classic Weedeny thing to do. Like Buffy made so many mistakes. She would just like have a fit and say, I can't do this and, and quit, you know? And, and, but it, like as me watching it, it reminds me that I can make mistakes and that's okay, but you know, they weren't just making a mistake because they wanted to do something wrong. They, they were trying to do what they thought was best and they were trying to deal with it while keeping to their ideals. So yeah, this idea of the flawed character, um, I think is like, is, it's really important to me because that, that's been something that's been really inspiring yeah, just for me. Just good storytelling. But. I think it also comes out of the different target audience because um, you know, it's well documented that Star Trek, um, including Voyager, even though there was a woman at the helm, was still targeted towards young straight white guys, generally True. Americans. Um, and uh, it, it's kind of, I think, insulting to that audience that they didn't think that they could appreciate more complex women characters or didn't need more complex women characters. But it was like women, the women audience was at the back of the mind for, for some people. Um, and with Buffy, that obviously wasn't the case. No, very true, very true. Yeah. Well, I'm glad that you mentioned the Whedonverse. Let's talk about the women of Firefly for a second. Yeah. Um, so you have Zoe Washburn, amazing. You have River Tam. I can see the parallels uh, with those two right away with some Voyager characters, um, not just because one is married to a pilot. They're both married to pilots, yeah. yeah. <laughs> they married the flyboy. Yeah. But there's some PTSD there, of course, in the beginning for River, right? Let's not forget oh, about Kaylee, who oh, ran the show. Kaylee, yeah, of course, Bellana, yeah. Yeah, Kaylee and Bellana. Kept it going. But they were, you know, the Kaylee and Bellana thing, I think is interesting, because like, like, they had the same job, essentially, and the same responsibilities, but they were completely different. Like one is like wise. a down-home mechanic, Yeah, right? but she's like super, I don't want to say she's super girly, but she has this like little girl inside of her. Like when that episode when she sees the, the, the dress, dress, the pink dress, and oh. she's like, I have to have it. Yeah, yeah, which is like my favorite episode. Oh, I love that And one. then, like, I cannot see Bellana seeing a dress and being like, I have to have it. I mean, there's just, <laughs> they're, they're completely different characters, but yet, you know, they had so many parallels in like their responsibilities and, and the way they interacted with people, so. What about like the tough girl persona? You know, you've got a lot of characters that uh, existed before Voyager, uh, you know, Sarah Connor, uh, I can think of Ripley from Aliens. Was that something that you think that we've broken away from and now they have become more complex and more evolved so they don't have to necessarily be like the gun-toting, smoking, you know, Starbucks? still get a lot of that, definitely. And we had a few great Voyager episodes that mirrored that like macrocosm with Janeway and the phaser rifle. So badass. I don't think it's necessary. Female like, diehard. I think we still need those. Like we, we just need to have more options. It shouldn't be the only thing. Like it shouldn't be that you just uh, like write Arnold Schwarzenegger characters and then make them women. Like you also have to have characters that consider the, like, the way that gender affected them. Do you think Voyager would have been different if there were more women behind the scenes? I definitely think so. I think Jerry Taylor had an enormous impact and drive on Jane Wayne in particular, but also advocating for the other female characters on the show. Um, especially, you know, you notice that the, the, the men's trajectory seems to follow like kind of a similar, a similar path, you know, versus, like on, on all Star Treks really, versus the women on Voyager, they had these, these complex, different struggles. You know, Picard, if Picard were stranded in the Delta Quadrant, I don't know if he would be too concerned about, you know, what he left back on Earth. I think that would be, that's like, you know, it, it was able to show Janeway being more vulnerable, any of the cast, or any of the crew being more vulnerable in terms of, you know, this longing that they had to go back to the familiar. Was anyone else, like, heartbroken every time they showed a picture of her dog? Oh. <laughs> yes. 
Yeah, I think like we certainly saw Jerry Taylor's influence um, on Troy and Crusher and TNG, and um, it's a bit harder to parse on Voyager. I mean, you can tell um, what she put into Janeway and Kess also in particular. The fact that she wrote that novel. Yeah, yeah oh my god. I mean, yeah, she, Mosaic is a great novel. She was entrenched in sure. the Janeway of things. And then I think you can really see the absence starkly in Enterprise. Like as, as much as I enjoy Enterprise, like it's the opportunities with the women crew members um, in terms of, I just don't think they ever started out um, with as much potential and it wasn't as fully realized. And I think part of that was a really big lack of women behind the scenes. For sure. Well, let's talk about, since, since you mentioned behind the scenes, um, Star Trek has been a platform for not just women, but um, for all kinds of actors turned directors. Roxanne Dawson is like an eminent director right now. Bates Motel, she's done Heroes. She's done um, the new Aquarius uh, David Duchovny show. Um, how have the real life people behind the characters uh, inspired you as women? Want to go first, Kayla? Um, Being the yeah. scientist yeah. extraordinaire. Um, I'm trying to pick like which one do I want to focus on. Um, because for me, it's like not, I, I don't want to like point to one thing. For me, it's like a kind of a combination of looking. And you know, I don't, I'm not like I know any of these people well personally, right. but just watching what they've done with their careers is inspiring. Especially like, I mean, Hollywood is man's world of very, very much so. Especially on the technical end. Yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. And well, finally so. Finally having that conversation about more female directors and ask her more on the red carpet. And Roxanne actually directed more episodes of Star Trek than any other woman. Um, there's only something like 12 women directors in all the, the shows of Star Trek. Wow, 12. I didn't realize 12. Yeah, it's, it's 10 or 12. It's not more than that. <laughs> well, for me, you know, Kate has gotten up here and um, talked. Uh, extensively kind of like about living in the moment and um, humanism and I'm an atheist and a humanist and she's just been really inspiring that you know you've got one life to live and you should just live it fully and and just she just has this I don't know bravado about her that's that really kicks me in the butt and makes me want to be a better person. Kate, Kate she, Mulgrew? Yeah Kate Mulgrew? she's just such a force you know and I love seeing her at conventions because you see all the women who come up are little girls, you know, who say, you inspired me and now I'm doing this with my life. And so I know that you read her book and you met uh, her, I, Amy. Every, anyone here who knows me knows my deep and abiding love for Captain Janeway. Obsession. When, everything, when anything happens with her, you know, in the media or something, I get like 10 text messages from people like I haven't talked to since high school. Like, oh, did you see this? <laughs> but um, I was at her book launch in April in, um, in, in Union Square in New York. And uh, she, if you have read her book, you know that she talks about giving up a little girl for adoption. She was got pregnant while she was on the set of Ryan's Hope. And you know that back in that day, you know, that just wasn't done. Her mom told her, you know, get on down to Catholic Charities and, and they'll, they'll help you figure it out. And uh, for me personally, um, I was adopted through Catholic Charities. So to have this parallel with that you know, Kate is going through as an adopted mo adoptive mom, and that I was going through in the last three years when I actually was looking for my biological family, um, it was very powerful to read. I didn't really realize that she had done that until maybe six months before the book launched. And reading it, I read it all in one day. <laughs> um, reading it was just very personal for me. And I, I, I got up and I, I said that, and you know, I, I asked her a question about you know, her experience with that. And, you know, she, she turned it around and she said, you know, how was that for you? And I was like, oh, I don't want to talk about myself. I want to talk about you. <laughs> but, um, you know, she, she really, I think, has, like, destigmatized that a little bit through her book. And it became, you know, a bestseller. And people, you know, people say that I'm adopted. They think, oh, it's this big deal. It's like, you know, how is that for you growing up? And I was like, you know, it's something that just has always existed about me. And to be able to know that my hero... Captain Janeway, since I was, you know, 13 years old, being able to, to watch her on screen and just loving her. Um, and she was there for me, you know, like that formative time when you're 13 and you're miserable. And to be able to see that was so important. And to see her um, now as an adult and everything that she had went through that I had no clue about, you know, that is just, just very personal, very, very awesome. There's something to be, to be said about speaking out about those issues that are kind of frowned upon or, you know, tucked under the rug, so to speak. You know, even the humanism or atheism, it's like, we're kind of this small group of people, but there's a lot of us out there. Yeah. The more you talk about it, the more you realize how much we are the same and that it's, you know, through that um, sense of community, through social media, 
through your icons, speaking out about it. Yeah. You don't feel so alone out there. No, it's so true with her. You know, just, you know, you're asking us about who resonated most. I mean, there can't be any other answer when that's her story and that's my story. Right. You know, these, these parallel issues. So it's, it's been really cool to be able to, to, to read about that and to hear her talk about that. Well, unless you guys have anything else you want to talk about, I would like to toss yeah, it out to the audience. Yeah, I want to hear from the audience. Yeah, we want to hear from you. Questions and Do you have any questions for us? Who are your favorite female Brett? characters? Of course I'm going to ask a question. <laughs> no, yeah, I, it struck me, I was thinking about, you know, 1995, you have a female captain in what is traditionally a male-driven show. And I recall there was maybe some rumbles about, about that. And flash forward 20 years later, you have a, a female-led character in the new Mad Max film, and the, the, the idiots out there just come unhinged. And it, it just, it, it seems like it's like, wait, we're supposed to be progressing, progressing forward. So I was wondering if you have thoughts on that, on how Janeway was more accepted, yet the, the Charlize Theron character, people just... Just lost their stuff. Well, I'd like to think that Star Trek fans are way more evolved than the general public. Am I right? We're more forward-thinking, more accepting. My theory on that is partly that I think that the representations of women have gotten so much better that the people who are opposed to them have gotten louder because they know they're losing. Good point. Yeah, Jared does a lot of great writing about that. Just even in Trekkie Feminist and on Gender Focus, I, I really admire the, the examination that you've taken of, of that kind of women in the media thing. The Furiosa, I mean, I went to see that movie with my husband and I thought, okay, we'll just watch some explosions for two hours. And it was like, wow. It's, it was good, though. It was good. It was good. Yeah. It was yeah. good. I loved it. I loved yeah. it. I mean, there's obviously still issues. And actually, like, you know, even fans at the time. Um, and now, if you look on boards and you search, like, worst captain, you can find awful the comments trolls. about Captain Janeway mm -hmm. and, like, her hair and her voice and her frilly dresses on the holodeck and things like that. So it wasn't totally, like, everyone embraced her. But um, certainly... You know, not the type of response we saw from the MRAs on Mad Max. And certainly people hide in the anonymity of the internet. Um, but one of the issues that, like, especially bringing up Mad Max, and we talked about Black Widow, is sort of we're not up to speed with marketing towards women at all. Um, there, you know, it was a huge campaign and uh, trending on Twitter about Black Widow merchandise in the new Avengers movie and how that was so lacking. And in fact, like, there is even uh, an action figure of, of, I think it was Captain America on the motorcycle that she rode in yeah. the movie yeah. because I feel like executives think that women can't be, you know, in these action... That they, they can't identify with the character or they won't buy the toy. Yeah. Or that men don't want to buy a toy of women, which I think is BS, toy, which, too. Yeah, everybody... Like, you know, with, with TNG action figures, they never made an action figure of Kai Wynn, the female changeling, or Cassidy Yates, who are, like, the three, like, huge characters on DS9, yeah, yeah. yet they made mutated Tom Paris with lizard babies. Wait, yeah. there's a Salamander <laughs> Tom Paris action figure? Yes. There's a yeah. mutated Tom Paris Do you guys like those figure. little Funko dudes? Yeah. yeah I no love Dr. Crusher. Oh, yeah. yeah. There is the entire uh, senior staff of the Enterprise, not Dr. Crusher included, but they all have a generic Klingon and they have Locutus of Borg. Yeah, and like, the, the TOS what, ones. Just Sienna, no other woman. The but TOS ones have Klingon. no Uhura and they have an Orion slave girl who is so skinny she has to have a stand or she'll yeah, fall she'll over. Yeah, she'll fall over. <laughs> Yeah, and I mentioned Tomorrowland, and there's two different Funko Pop figures of Frank Walker, which is the George Clooney character, and the two women that are in that movie have, in my opinion, like more significant uh, roles. Oh, he's and not there's the main not, character. Yeah, the there's not one of them at all. They do like the tiny little figures, but they're terrible, and yeah. <laughs> I was, um, Who would want I was, that? I'm a huge X-Files fan, and I was looking at the San Diego Comic-Con exclusives. Oh, yeah, they had... Um, four t-shirts. Uh, Scully was only partially on two of them. She did not have her solo t-shirt. Mulder had his own t-shirt, but, and, you know, she did Wasn't not Wasn't it have like, any... it would like be grouped, it would be her, the like, two of them, but was, she'd be like cut her off. Her face was cut off, and one of them also had like a, a, a funny word on it along with her face. It was, it was a disempowering Weird. word. Like, who wants a picture of Mulder and like half of a chick? But like I know. <laughs> Maybe Mulder. Yeah. Uh, we have another question down here. Go ahead, sir. Uh, ooh, sorry. <laughs> well, I'm, uh, I'm a big fan of, of the Voyager show, actually. I didn't start off that way. It took me a minute to, to kind of get into it, but after I did, I definitely appreciated the dynamic between 
the female characters on the show and kind of recognized it for what it was. Now, looking at that and like going kind of like flashing forward, I've noticed uh, a slight change as far as female characters, particularly recently with the uh, sci-fi show Killjoy and uh, Dark Matter, where the, uh, the main character is a female who is in charge of the all-around group. Is it that Hollywood thinks that if we're going to, I guess you could say, uh, promote a female character, she has to be, yes, she has to be gorgeous, drop-dead gorgeous, as, but she has to be able to kick ass all the time. But is it possible that we can also look at just a strong female character, say like in um, uh, Madam Secretary. Mm -hmm. You know, she's, she's in charge of a government office and everything. She's not out here beating up a bunch of people all the time, but she has the side that she has to be very serious and in charge of her position. And then she goes home, you know, and she's, you know, a mother. So, and we don't necessarily just look at her as some kind of fantasy symbol, but as just appreciating her as that woman. Are we? Getting closer to that kind of uh, appreciation for... Uh, I think a show that does that really well and finally has received Emmy recognition is Orphan Black. Uh, Tatiana Maslany is an incredible, incredible actress. You can tell when she's pretending to be one of the other clones. Like, you can tell when Sarah is pretending to be Kasima, who is like supposed to be pretending to be someone I, else. I, like for, I forget that it's the same actress. I forget yeah. it is too. Yeah. I'm like, I can't believe this is the same, you know, Helena. Helena is this in, intense, yeah. insane person. Mm -hmm. um, but you know, like, like you're, you said that, you know, they can, you can see this character being something else. You can see Sarah just being, you know, she's a mom. She's worried about her daughter. You know, you can see Rachel as kind of being this like isolated, lonely, you know, science experiment. You can see, you know, Allison, you know, as a mom and as somebody who's, you know, trying to protect and provide for her family. You know, you see every aspect of female characters on that show. And the other main characters on that show are women. And um, also the detective is, you know, a black man, so a minority. And her best friend, Felix, is gay. So that show is diversity personified. Yeah, I would say, like, the greatest takeaway from television now is that there are so many more ensemble shows where each character is given their own moment and they're more well-developed. Like, I would say The Walking Dead, the female characters on that show, particularly Carol, are incredibly flawed but incredibly compelling and for all ages, too. I mean, you don't see that many roles for middle-aged women on TV where they get to kick butt and make, like horrible decisions or good decisions depending on how you look at it but also have like these emotional stories too but they're not sexual icons necessarily oh, same uh, thing with american horror story too i was just thinking falling skies is in its last season right now moon blood good is doing a great job um the girl who plays uh, sarah is doing a great job you know or no i think sarah's her real name <laughs> um she's uh, she's doing a great job and um that show is is all about this like survivalist apocalypse, just like The Walking Dead. I mean, you don't, it's not about, you know, oh, how should I do my hair? <laughs> like, you know, they're, uh, they're really good, flawed, yeah. strong people. Yeah. You wanted to say something, Jared. You looked like you were chomping at the bit. Oh, um, I forgot. Okay. okay. No worries. <laughs> question. We got a few more questions. Um, let's uh, take this young lady right here. Thank you. Um, one of my favorite things about Voyager was the non-competitive friendships between the female crew members. Um, how everyone started on very rough footing between Starfleet and Maquis, and then they kind of grew and really formed very strong, um, very strong friendships. That um, do you think this has influenced television in the future? Do you think we've seen a lot more of that, or do you think that's kind of fallen by the wayside? Well, I think Orphan Black's another obvious example of like really strong friendships and collaboration. Um, they're all, you know, we're sisters. And even Helena, who like they, many of them have very much reason to distrust or distrust. even fear. Yeah. Um, ultimately, they realize we, we're all in this together and we have to work together. And I think that is a, is a really cool example. Definitely. I was really proud of Helena when she came back. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. saved Sarah this past season. Mm -hmm. It's like you feel, you feel like happy when you see this female character grow. Well, and even characters that don't necessarily have a friendship on Voyager, they managed to work together. So, for instance, Seven and Balana didn't really have a good rapport in the beginning. But 
they still got the job done. And that's the important thing, is yeah, that they were still able to work out their differences. Anti-competitiveness, like she said, I think is a really good way to describe it. Like, they weren't trying to sabotage each other, and they weren't trying to, like, use each other to promote themselves. It was more... It's like society pits us against each other more yeah. than anything. Yeah. Does anyone watch the show Younger? Yes. Anyone? Yes? Yeah. Um, yeah, it shows Sutton Foster and a Hilary Duff. They have this really cool dynamic going on. It's, it's interesting to see women in these, these you know, friendship friendship uh, of roles, like you said. And I think the women of Star Trek really, really paved the way for this non-competitive, you know, sisterhood. All right, we have Dr. McKenna asking us a question. Uh, can you hear me? We good? Yeah. Uh, I'd love to know what your, if we're gonna be idealistic and see within the future how we would like to see strong women portrayed, what we've been seeing, just to carry on with what the last gentleman was saying. Um, right now it seems to be an amalgamation of showing very sexualized females um, being over masculine and being very physical and being very kind of able to physically kick butt or be portrayed in somewhat highly masculine kind of personality traits, what we attribute, which I even like Brienne even have from those. Game of Thrones. Yes, yes. yes. Yeah. And I, even the fact that we have to generalize something as Whedonverse, like there's, there's like a separate kind of character <laughs> writing that happens within there that's maybe not generalized. But ideally, what would you love to see being the future within um, both Star Trek and sci-fi as being strong female characters portrayed? Seeing um, just, can you be in any, is there anything specific that comes to mind when you think what would be amazing to see um, kind of from where we are now in general to where you'd like well, to? Well, I would go. like to, like I think that we've had a lot of really cool women characters in sci-fi and other fandoms recently and like horror. Yeah, and, um, but I think that what, we've kind of lost is uh, the positive vision of the future. And I would like to see women embodied in really complex um, and uh, ways in working in collaboration with each other and, and getting to really go deep, um, a little deeper than we got into Voyager, but in the context of a positive vision of the future, a, a utopian vision, um, so that we can aspire to that, so that it's not just like a byproduct of living in awful times that either you become a sexualized victim or you become a fighter. Um, like I want to see there be the diversity. Because those are tropes too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I want to see diversity and depth in the context of like this more like Trekkian vision of how we how we could aspire to be. And it makes me sad when movies like Tomorrowland don't do well because that is the closest thing to a Roddenberry vision of the future that I've seen recently out there that is super positive, that has two women working together together to better the future. So hopefully like people see, will start seeing that material and like recognizing it for I would just its like to see new Star Trek. That would be really nice. Right? I agree. <laughs> I want to see Star Trek where the strongest female character in the movie doesn't have to strip down. Yes. Right? LGBT the biggest characters. problem. Like, LGBT characters are so, so, so overdue A in new track. crew with oh, new yeah, names come on. and new backstories and even, like, new aliens, you know, just, just new. You know, I... Just where it's not a big deal that I there's LGBT characters. characters, you know... I thought that the, the reboot, the first movie was a fun sci-fi movie. I didn't necessarily think it was Star Trek. Um, you know what though about, I just have to pick up the, that thing that Jared said about LGBT characters. Mm. I think Star Trek has really dropped the ball on LGBT characters. I think because, so too. And, and, and I've read that they were going to put one in Voyager and the, was it the studio that told them they couldn't do it, basically? I don't know. I, I I've don't heard know the that details rumor. on that. I've heard I that don't as, buy a, it. as a rumor. But, yeah. But, but I mean, it, now David it's like, you know, if they had done it then, that would have been the Star Trek thing to do, is put the character in there when people were telling them no, that they couldn't do it. I mean, now it, it seems it, too little too late. It is. It, I mean, like, obviously they need everywhere. a LGBT Every other show now, is like ahead of its time, Star and Star Trek's still Star lacking. Star Trek lost its chance to be pioneering on that issue. Yeah. That, that's, that's really too bad, because it's been, it's paved the way for a lot of other issues, like, you know, yeah. uh, biracial things. And now we have trans mm -hmm. community members out in the forefront, and Yet Star Trek is not representing this right yeah, now. The Women so. of Orange is the new black. There's a trans character in Orphan Black too. Yes, yep. yes, one of the clones. Mm -hmm. We saw a trans clone on uh, on Orphan Black very briefly, but there. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see when Star Trek comes back where it falls into that. You know, mm -hmm. is it is it going to keep up with the times or still be a little behind? Uh, we have a question over here. Yes. Um, 
mine's actually kind of building off of what you guys were just discussing. Can you speak a little louder? I can't hear oh, you yeah. closer to the um, mic. My question's actually kind of building off of what you guys were just talk touching on and what you brought up. And I'd just kind of like to know that if you had the chance to actually write an episode for Voyager specifically, since it does have so many female roles, I'd like to know kind of which character you'd want to focus on and like is there a facet to their personality that you'd really like to explore more and how you would maybe go about doing that if you had an idea. That's an awesome question. Yeah, such a good question. I think Bolana. She needed more. Yeah, yeah I think Bolana needed more episodes. Um, I think Janeway needed more episodes maybe after Seven came along and they focused a lot on, not just on Seven, but on the Borg in general. I think it would have been cool to, like, I think uh, that Voyager lost a lot by resolving the conflict with the Maquis too quickly, and it would have been cool to see yeah, um, more of the tension um, embodied in Bolana, um, not just Seska, um, who was, like, downright evil, but like you see in the beginning of Deep Space Nine, um, I think Kira embodies that tension a lot better with her trying to figure out her alliances between the Bajorans versus the Federation, and even then she doesn't totally trust, like, the government versus the spiritual leaders, and so... Um, to see Bolana have to navigate that, you know, I have this captain that's placed her trust in me, but she's still got us stranded here, and I have friends that are pressuring me not to follow her. I have Chakotay that's really trusting her. I think that could have been really cool to see early on. I think I would have had, uh, I would have liked to see the Bolana and Seven of Nine relationship. I think um, for some reason we should find, Bolana should have to go to a Klingon wedding and have to take Seven of Nine as her date. That's the story I would write. That is awesome. I like that. Down here? Um, I personally grew up in the late 90s. I watched Kim Possible, Gargoyles, all that jazz. And I have to say, there was a lot of experimentation with the 90s. And it was like, it was like maybe all these female roles are not just, just because of Janeway and everything. It was just the experimentation, like, oh, this part. This didn't work. Do you feel like we've lost that? Or that, it, we've, we, that they're doing, you know? Well, I'm curious to know, since well, you, um, you have that background with. Well, um, lost my thought. It's okay. <laughs> um, and now we're in this kind of really good age of television, mm -hmm. where, it, where we're kind of experimenting with it more, like in Last Year Bender and Legend of Korra. Korra is yeah, Legend of Korra. I think like the stakes aren't as high anymore in television yeah. as they used to be. You know, you're talking about network TV shows and syndication. I think they're and a little higher. Having to ha what? I actually think the stakes are higher. Because I don't they think won't, so. They won't cancel something after three episodes. That's still network though, yeah. because if you think about network, things yes. that are on network. Netflix. I do preface that by saying network. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the things that are on Netflix or Hulu or streaming, and you know, even the fan films that are out there. You get to experiment more because, you know, you don't have to answer to the powers that be necessarily. Like, producers are getting more creative and writers are getting more creative freedom. So we're able to see more experimentation now. I think a show like American Horror Story is certainly a, a screaming example of roles for women that are just, like, running the gamut of crazy it's and Ryan, awesome. Ryan Murphy, he's pretty badass. Um, yeah. I, I and Walking Dead. What I was talking about was um, um, saying that... All the, all the opportunities of women and so many things have happened since the 90s are not just contributed to just Janeway. Seven oh, oh, yeah. No, oh, yeah. no. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like, like they're content. They have contemporaries, yeah. you know, like, like you mentioned, and, you yeah. know, we brought up Scully and Buffy and Zena. You know, they're yeah. not the only ones. But yeah. Yeah. Like, I think that yeah. Voyager is, is a product of its time socially as well um, as it influenced the things to come. Um, I think that it did some things better than other shows, like in terms of the mental health issues. I think that was one thing where it, it was better than the contemporaries and some things like not as well as the contemporaries. Um, and uh, but I do think that if we hadn't had those characters, um, we may not have as, as much potential for, for awesome stuff in track as well as like sci-fi and other fandoms today. Yeah, today. All right, we have Thank a question you. down here. Okay, so I came in late because I was getting my picture taken with Roxanne Dawson. Woo! So sorry if someone has already asked this. That's okay, go ahead. So I grew up on Voyager. That was the only Star Trek series I ever watched. And then recently I started trying to watch Enterprise. And I kind of 
I was kind of shocked by it because it kind of felt like a step back in a lot of ways. And I was wondering if anyone else thinks that, you know, maybe the Star Trek people who were in charge of things felt like, you know, they kind of tried like the strong female characters and then they kind of thought, oh, you know, let's take a step back and go back to the more like cowboy western. I hope they, that Trek. wasn't what they were, was on their mind. I hope they didn't say let's undo all the progress we made. Let's undo some progress for a But I know you guys were making the point earlier of the, what's going on behind the scenes yeah. and was there enough female representation. representation behind the scenes and it sounds like Enterprise, Enterprise did, suffered if you did, from that. We said earlier that there was very little um, female pro produ producers and directors for Enterprise. Actually, Enterprise had a lot of episodes directed by Roxanne Dawson, so its director ratio was pretty good, but um, writers, Writing, writers and producers um, were very, very low. And in terms of uh, like the Bechdel test on or do you have two women talking to each other about something other than a man, um, Voyager is like up around 95% because you had so many episodes where Janeway is talking to Seven or talking to Bolana about something. Science um, Enterprise is almost as low as the original series, just because there were a lot fewer women characters and they almost never interacted with yeah, each other. I don't other. think T'Pol and Hoshi really interact they're, much at all. Yeah, yeah. You're not alone in your shock at Enterprise. <laughs> when I, I sat down to watch that. Yeah. Mm -mm. yeah. <laughs> Every show is a product not only of its time, but of the people who create it. So um, I think it should have been a step ahead, but yeah, it slightly was a step back, but I don't think it was a conscious decision for them okay. to do that. Mm -hmm. Thank you. Thank you. Great question. Right down here. Uh, one of the reasons why I love Star Trek so much is because there are so many female characters that have just been wonderful and shown kind of the diversity of women, um, and especially in like Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. So can you talk a little bit about how you think those shows kind of paved the way to have the women in Voyager? Major Kira. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they were talking before Deep Space Nine about do we make this captain a woman? And um, if we hadn't, I think, test, if they hadn't seen that characters like Kira could work in Deep Space Nine, I don't know that we would have got a woman captain. Um, and, uh, and Dax is also pretty, you know, she's a scientist. She's super tough in, like, uh, the... That, yeah. The Klingon the one, Klingon that's one. my favorite one. Um, she knows how to use her bat <laughs> Yeah, and I mean, the Borg Queen is is huge in Voyager, but started in, in TNG and, of course, First Contact. And, and so I think if we didn't have her there, you know, she wouldn't have been such a prominent part of Voyager and such a great, iconic, not just a great villain, just an iconic villain in general, not just a female villain. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. I think also that, like, Troy and Crusher, um, they're kind of maligned for being in, like, quote-unquote nurturing roles, but I think part of the problem with that was the creators and the writers didn't actually value nurturing roles like being a mental health professional is actually a really important job and so is being a doctor and Crusher had it and a so bit less being than a Troy yeah and I think by the time we got to Voyager like Janeway embodied compassion and caring and nurturing in a way that was not uh, it wasn't uh, presented as something that like took away from her strength or that was incompatible with competence and brains and from a feminist critical theory perspective um, Kira actually has the most feminist agency of all characters in Star Trek, slightly above Janeway because of her ability to have well-rounded relationships with both men and women. Um, Kira is able to, you know, have romantic relationships and, you know, ha have this, this fullness to her, her romantic life that Janeway, because of being captain, did not get. So I really think that that, that Kira and Dax, you know, every, they all kind of are stepping stones for each other. You know, you can see the progression going, you know, from... from and then Enterprise. Detroit, yeah. And then Leonard, we want to talk about Enterprise. <laughs> uh, one last question. We got the five-minute warning, so go ahead right here. Um, I wanted to ask how you thought... Um, so with TNG, before Voyager, mm -hmm. we had two women characters, but they were very much, like, feminine, nurturing, mothering-type characters, both working in, like, medical fields that are, like, traditionally women's roles. So I wanted to see what you thought about the change from that traditional nurturing sense to then we have, you know, obviously Janeway as the commander, but then also Bolana as an engineer, um, Seven as a scientist, but then also having Kess still being that kind of nurturing nurse, um, gardener, that kind of thing. Just what you thought about that transition. Yeah, that's true. And I know we've been saying that Crusher was this nurturing mm -hmm. Presence to me, I don't, I don't know. I'm, I mean, may, maybe I'm wrong about this, but I feel like she was like less nurturing, and 
she was a doctor, not a nurse, so that's not necessarily a traditionally female role. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And, and they got, like, she got kind of badass, her and, and even Deanna, like, mm-hmm. she went through Taking the training, to command training towards, like, the last yeah. couple of seasons. And so I, did th- I do think they actually both evolved quite a bit. Definitely. And in the movies, I think they got, you know, a little bit more... Oh, no. like, no. Beverly was on <laughs> I top totally of it. disagree. The, like, the movies, they don't, like, Trey well, Deanna. They get to talk about their boobs in insurrection, well, yes, they do. and they do Deanna gets to counsel someone I in I blocked that out of memory. <laughs> uh, anyway, that could be in next year's panel. Uh, but, um, What's going on in those movies? Uh, but I think that it's cool that Voyager, we got to see both. Like, I think Kess, um, we didn't get to know her very well, but it, um, like the stuff that she did, she was so exceptionally bright that she was learning this stuff so quickly um, in terms of nursing and hydroponics. And um, it, was a, it was cool to see that from like a super young woman and that her role, her caring roles were really valued in the context. I think that was really what distinguished it. Tasha Yar, too, even though she was present for one season and then going into Ensign Rowe, who's, who's similar. Yeah. You know, they, the women of Next Gen definitely have you know, a lot to offer. All right, well, we're going to have to wrap this up. Thank you all so much. We're going to be um, off to the side hanging out. So yeah, if you want to talk hi. to us or ask any more questions, we really appreciate it. Thanks. Follow us on Twitter. And thank you to Mary. Thank Thanks you so much guys. for being here, everyone. I wanted yes. to thank Mary for putting the, this panel together again. You know, it's, it's always great to be on it and, and for running it. So thank you so much. I'm really that. honored to have you guys. You guys are an inspiration, too. Thanks, everybody. Thank you. So that wraps up our special supplementary episode of Women at Warp. We had a great time doing that panel on women's roles in Voyager at Star Trek Las Vegas, but this is just one of the many topics being discussed on the Trek FM network recently. So here's a quick look at some of the other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. I have been pushing this since I saw mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Into Darkness. And I saw Into Darkness like a week before it came out in the U.S. So I've been pushing it for a long freaking time. And the idea, of course, is to do... Captain ex- Worf. Yeah, oh, Captain... wait, no. That's not it. <laughs> Earl Grey. And really, she's following the Hasbrat, I think, is really what it is. <laughs> Come for the revolution, stay for the Hasbrat. It's got to be fresh Hasbrat. None of that replicates. Like Daniel's like at the watching the end of this episode, like tears are coming down the face. It's like, no, oh, it's the Hasperat. It's so spicy. It's what it is. <laughs> the orb. Also, the original title of this episode was "A Matter of Breeding," which, when we talk about things feeling TNG-ish, that could have been a Riker episode. <laughs> <laughs> the ready room. It's about people and feelings and emotions. It's about philosophy. It's about the future. It's about hope. It's about glory. It's about intellectual promise. That's what Axnar is about. It is not a story about pew, pew, pew. I promise you that. To the journey! I do have one honorable mention. Name it. Prax! Oh, <laughs> How could we not have a top five season five moments without Prax? Warp five. It kind of like is akin to um, when fans saw the galaxy class in the next generation for the very first time. And you had a, basically a crew and civilian compliment of what, over a thousand people? About two thirds of that compliment were civilians and their families. So you actually did have teachers and scholars and scientists and and their extended families on board. Commentary, Trek stars. But you would never pick up on that based on the way that it plays out, aside from the fact that they explicitly tell you in the dialogue, (laughs) you know? The 602 Club. It is what it is. I mean, Tom Cruise is who he is, but at at the end of the day, he delivered this fantastic movie, and so did all the other new characters. Literary Treks. You know, um, you had the great Enterprise book, The Good That Men Do. And this is The Good That Men Don't Do. And, uh, you know, Edmund Burke is is famous for, for saying that the only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do nothing. Mm-hmm. Axanar, the official podcast. It is the spirit of TOS that matters that's being captured, but it doesn't necessarily have to be the aesthetic. The aesthetic was 1966 to 1969 that had its moment, it had its time. And there's a certain amount of charm still to that. 
but it doesn't allow you to push the narrative forward because that type of aesthetic holds creativity back, in my opinion. Women at Warp. Keiko could totally beat the crap out of Rumpelstiltskin. This is so, like, I cannot buy this at all. That she's just sitting there being like, oh, my baby. At the very least, she could throw a plant at him or something. (laughs) Because we established in TNG that pot foo is a thing. (laughs) And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Before we go, we also just wanted to remind you about the Trek FM Patreon. Trek FM is a listener-supported network. You can help us keep the Star Trek discussion coming by pledging a donation at patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm. Every little bit helps keep Women at Warp and the other Trek FM podcasts up and running. So once you're done here, please consider visiting patreon.com slash trekfm. If you'd prefer to just support Women at Warp, we have that option available as well. You can visit patreon.com slash women at warp. One of the things we're really hoping to do if we can fundraise for it is to get all of us, uh, not just me, but also Andy, Sue and Grace, the rest of our Women at Warp crew to Star Trek Las Vegas for the big 2016 50th anniversary celebration to cover a lot more stuff. So um, if you'd like to help us achieve that, you can visit patreon.com slash women at warp. If you'd like to send any feedback to our podcast, you can email crew at womenatwarp.com or you can tweet at Women at Warp, visit us on Facebook at Women at Warp or our website, womenatwarp.com. Again, my name is Jara Hodge. You can find me at trekkiefeminist.tumblr.com. Thanks so much for listening. Live long and prosper.